Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. It's great to be with you here on this wonderful afternoon as we're getting ready to usher in the next of our great Jewish holidays. In fact, Yom Kippur is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. This is the day of atonement when God forgives our sins and wipes our slates clean. For close to 26 hours, we are going to abstain from everyday mundane activities. There are five specific restrictions that we have in Yom Kippur. Number one, no eating and drinking. We fast. Number two, no bathing. Number three, no applying ointments. Number four, we don't wear leather shoes. And number five, no engaging in marital relations. And when we refrain from these everyday comforts during the holiday of Yom Kippur, it reminds us that we could be more than creatures of impulse, that we must nourish our souls as we do our bodies. This day, the day of Yom Kippur, is the day of atonement. Because on the 10th of Tishrei, back in the era of the Exodus, in the year 2448 from creation, that's when God forgave the Jewish people in the desert for their sin of infidelity, of worshiping the golden calf. Takes us back to the generation that received the Torah at Mount Sinai. Not long after this climactic event, many Jews sadly engaged in an idolatrous practice. And it's that act which our sages compared it to the, a bride committing adultery at her wedding, damaged this relationship between God and the Jewish people. And Moshe Rabbeinu Moses broke the two tablets that he had just received from God and pleaded with the Almighty to please forgive the Jewish nation. And it was on this day, the 10th day in the seventh month, the month of Tishrei, the day that would become Yom Kippur, that God relented to Moses' requests and forgave the Jewish people and tasked Moshe with preparing another set of tablets that would replace the first ones. And those Moshe came down the mountain with on Yom Kippur. And ever since then, that day served as our annual day of atonement. Ever since this day was designated as Yom Kippur, which means a day of atonement, a day that has an energy to, to purify, uh, to, to atone, an energy of forgiveness. Throughout the year, of course, we can always ask for forgiveness, but it takes more of a beseechment. We have to beg for forgiveness if we want to atone for our sins. And Yom Kippur, we don't need to beg. God wants to forgive us, to purify us from our wrongdoings. And still, Him wants us to ask. And that we do by sincerely regretting our shortcomings, by having genuine remorse for what we've done wrong and resolving and committing to improve, to become better. If we don't repent, we turn our backs on the atonement that God offers us in this day. Now, in the face of it, in Kippur, when we fast and pray, it can feel like a sad day. But my friends, Yom Kippur really is a joyful day. After all, what can be happier than the day on which our sins are forgiven? There could be nothing greater. This is a day of jubilation and celebration. The Baal Shem Tov once attended a Yom Kippur service 
where the chazan, the cantor, was chanting the Kippur liturgy to these joyful melodies. When the Vashemtiv asked him, why were you so joyous? The chazan replied, isn't cleaning the royal palace of garbage, of dirt, a joyous occasion? And so the Vashemtiv really appreciated that idea. After all, our souls are a palace for God. And throughout the year, some allow the palace to get a little dirty. But on Yom Kippur, God cleanses our sins. All we need to do is open the door. To not repent is to lock the door in God's face as he arrives to offer atonement. And who would want to do that? So let's remember, even if our souls are somewhat sullied, a diamond in the rough is still a diamond. And so we may be a little bit schmutzig, a little dirty, but Yom Kippur is the opportunity for us to do a proper cleansing. And it's true, although we can repent any day of the year, but it's this period, the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the Aseret Yom Teshuvah, that are particularly conducive to repentance. And of these 10 days, it's Yom Kippur that's the most conducive because the day itself represents atonement. Many people understand repentance that means you have to change, you have to become a different person. But the truth is the Hebrew word teshuva means to return. It connotes a return to our original selves. We all start out with an innocent soul, a pure connection with God. When we sin, what we're doing is we just, we sully our purity, we cover up that connection. Teshuva means to remove the cover, to return to our original state. It's much easier to return to what we already are than to become something we never were. I mean, Kippur, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. The connection and purity that we seek is already within. We just need to uncover it. Teshuva reframes our sin. Think of maybe a quarreling couple and they're able to resolve their differences. What happens afterwards? They enjoy a more deep and intense connection than they ever had before the quarrel. The quarrel, in a sense, was the springboard for that growth in the relationship. Think of a criminal who experiences true remorse and becomes more honest than before they committed the crime. When they look back, they're able to identify the moment of sin as the beginning of the return. At the time, of course, the quarrel, the, the crime was terrible. But in hindsight, in retrospect, if you reframe it as the trigger for what incredible growth that came from it. And that's why the Talmud tells us that teshuva transforms the sin into a merit. Imagine standing before a judge and asking to turn whatever violation, crime one committed into a merit. The judge will think you're crazy. But Almighty God sees beyond that. The Ebrister, Hashem knows that it's from the sin that was the impetus for us to change. And therefore, God transforms it into a merit. And so, ladies and gents, as we get ready for Yom Kippur, there's a lot to do. To get ready physically and spiritually, the day preceding Yom Kippur, Erev Yom Kippur, is treated as a partial holiday. And there are several observances that we do on this day that help us prepare for Yom Kippur. Starting early in the morning, many people have a custom to perform kaparis in the early hours of Erev Yom Kippur. And there's different ways of doing it. 
one custom is to carefully hold a live hen for women, for girls, or a rooster for boys and men, and to read the prayer of Kaparis that you'll find inside your machser, and then follow the gently follow the procedure of how to wave the chicken over your head three times and to declare that this chicken will be slaughtered and distributed to the poor while we will merit forgiveness and then the chicken slaughtered and the meat is allocated for the benefit of the poor in our community. Of course, there are other ways of performing this ritual. Most notably, some people use money. That's probably the most popular way to do it. Waving money over your head, saying the same exact prayer and exchange the word for chicken to that this money will go to tzedakah, which of course you must immediately act upon, make sure the charity is distributed and please God, you'll merit a good, long and healthy life. Of course, one of the important things we have to do before Yom Kippur, while in Yom Kippur, Almighty God will forgive us, hopefully, for whatever transgressions we may have committed between us and Hashem. But whatever I may have done to an individual, to against my fellow human being, that only that individual person can forgive me for. So it's important that we ask forgiveness these days leading up to Yom Kippur. Any person we may have hurt, insulted, offended, or any way harmed over the past year to ask their forgiveness. And I hereby take this opportunity to ask my you, my dear listeners, if I've ever insulted or offended you in any way, shape, or form, to please pardon me and forgive me at this time. Another custom, important thing to do is to give extra charity in the days leading up to Yom Kippur. As the prophet Daniel says, with charity you'll remove your sin. The Talmud teaches that when we are compassionate when we're kind and benevolent and caring towards others, and God in turn is compassionate towards us. The Talmud teaches that eating a festive meal on Erev Yom Kippur is as meritorious as fasting on Yom Kippur itself. It's so important to do so, firstly, so we have the strength and the fortitude to be able to fast the many hours of Yom Kippur and to be immersed in prayer that we are as we observe Yom Kippur. Also, we usually celebrate days of note with a festive meal. So by eating a lavish meal in Erev Yom Kippur, we are thereby fulfilling the way of celebrating Yom Kippur. Since in Yom Kippur we can't eat, we have to fast. So we feast on Erev Yom Kippur. Of course, our Father in Heaven wants us to eat. Because while God wants us to fast on Yom Kippur, God does not want us to suffer. So when we eat well on the day before the fast, then Hashem enjoys it as much as the fasting of Yom Kippur itself. So yes, of course, on Yom Kippur, we are going to fast the full observance from sunset until the stars are out. But by beginning Yom Kippur observances a day earlier and feasting in preparation for the fast, that demonstrates our eager anticipation of atonement and our confidence in the meritorious victory in our vindication that God will certainly grant us atonement and forgiveness. Please God for the coming year. There are many other customs. We'll just touch on a few more in our limited time. There's a custom on Arabian Kippur to ask for lekach. Lekach is to, to request. We ask a rabbi, a friend, relative for a piece of lekach, a piece of honey cake which it symbolizes a wish for a sweet year. And the custom is specifically to ask for the honey cake in case 
God forbid it was decreed that we have to resort to any kind of handout during the year. So that decree should be satisfied with this ask of lekach. The only ask we should ever have to do, asking for sweetness. Before the fast begins, during the day, it's customary for men to immerse in a mikvah. We try ideally three times earlier in the day, before mincha and before the onset of the fast. If that's not practically possible for yourself, then go at least once and immerse three times. And some women even have a custom of doing so as well. Early on, before Yom Kippur begins, we already get dressed in the festive mode for the holiday. And as we discussed before, one of the customs, one of the laws of Yom Kippur is not to wear leather shoes. So we don shoes that are made of any other fabric, just not leather. And it's customary to wear white garments in Yom Kippur, which that reminds us, firstly, of our mortality, just as the dead are buried in shrouds, tachrichim, that are white. Also, it reminds us of our potential for purity. The prophet states, Isaiah, Yeshayahu, if your sins will be like red silk, they'll turn white like snow. And this indicates that white is the color of forgiveness. In fact, the Gemara track that Yuma tells us that a red string was hung over the door of the temple on Yom Kippur. And at some point, the red string would turn miraculously white. And the people knew that they were forgiven then. So it's customary that we avoid wearing anything that is red or likewise anything that's made of gold because we want to avoid invoking the sin of the golden calf which caused us to require atonement and forgiveness to begin with. But of course, we're celebrating the fact that God gives us this opportunity and atones us, forgives us on Yom Kippur. Before Yom Kippur begins, make sure now in advance to do all your shopping, what you need for before the fast, and of course for the breakfast afterwards, and we will usher in Yom Kippur with lighting candles. So make sure when you purchase your candles, not just to have the ordinary Shabbos candles that you light, we also want to have a 24-hour candle in honor of the Yisker prayers that we recite on Yom Kippur. King Solomon wrote that Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam, the human soul, is God's candle. A soul is compared to a candle because just like a flame is one of the only things in our world that appears to naturally climb upward. To us, it seems as though it wants to ascend to the heavens. It's just being held back by the wick. So the soul has the very same idea in a spiritual sense. Of course, the soul recognizes the importance of its earthly mission and what it needs to do here in a corporeal physical body and its journey in this world. But the soul's natural desire is to escape the body, to cleave to God. When a person passes away, finally, the soul is returned to its heavenly source. And we memorialize our beloved departed by lighting a candle. And so, in fact, there's a custom to light one Yisker candle and one Neshama candle for ourselves as well. As we usher in Yom Kippur, we're going to begin with a blessing for our children. It's customary for parents to bless each of their children individually before the onset of Yom Kippur. And this blessing ideally should be done in person. But of course, if the children aren't nearby, then you can do so on the phone or any video conference application. And if you're doing it in person, place your hands over your children's head and give them your personal blessings 
And of course, the biblical verses that we quote, that Hashem should make them like Ephraim and Manasseh, like Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, and we give them the threefold blessing of the Kohanim, Ivarechecha, Hashem Yishmarecha, that God should bless you and guard you. Yara Hashem Panavelecha Bichoneka, that God should make His countenance shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yisa Hashem Panavelecha, the Yasem Lecha Shalem, and may God make His, uh, may God turn His countenance toward you and to grant you peace. And this is the blessing with which the Kohanim, the priests, bless the Jewish nation. And this is the blessing with which parents bless their children, many on a Friday night, but certainly as we welcome Yom Kippur just before candle lighting or just before Kol Nidre in Shul. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great being with you here this afternoon as we are getting ready to usher in the next and the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur. So let's take some time to examine some of the themes, the rituals, some of the signature prayers of this holiest day of the year. We were talking about Erev Yom Kippur, how to prepare, what to include in your shopping list. And now we're holding a candle lighting when you're going to say the appropriate blessings, as you'll see inside your mask. So before the onset of Yom Kippur, after the candles are lit, but before sunset, it's customary that man, that gentlemen put on their talis. That is, if you are married, we don our prayer shawls and recite the blessing that is said over wearing the talis, lis atik petitis, only, of course, if you do so before sunset. If you are going to put on the talis after sunset, then you can emit the blessing. The time for Kol Nidre is just before the sun sets. Kol Nidre is a legal formulation that absolves us of all vows that we make in the coming year. So we recite it three times, each time a little louder than the previous time. During the Middle Ages, certain people who wanted to libel Jews, they would point to Kol Nidre to prove that Jews can't be trusted to keep our word. The truth is that Kol Nidre is irrelevant to vows that we make to our fellow human beings. Those vows cannot be unilaterally avoided. Kol Nidre only annuls vows that don't involve other people. For example, a vow to refrain from overeating, let's say. Judaism regards any vow as sacred. Many Jews are very careful. Anytime we say any commitment we want to make, we say that it should be bli nedr. We don't take on any vow in the first place. We Just in case we don't wind up following through. So in case we do take a vow, we're preemptively voiding it on Yom Kippur to ensure that it doesn't result in a violation in any way. In modern times, of course, people wonder why do you need this whole legal procedure, especially with a heartfelt prayer for forgiveness, you know, with, 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 with the, this is what's initiating Yom Kippur and, and it's chanted in such a memorable tune. What's the significance of it? Now, apparently the reason this is the opening prayer for Yom Kippur is that in Judaism, our word is hallowed, our word is sacred. If we profane our words by transgressing our vows, we can't use our profaned faculty of speech to speak to God. So we annul these vows in advance to ensure that our speech is pure, unsullied. We begin our Yom Kippur service with Kol Nidre precisely because we take our words seriously. Before we use our words to ask for atonement, we ensure that our oral integrity 
is clear. We annul our vows. Only after this is achieved do we approach God in prayer. After Komidre, we're going to recite the bracha of Shachianu and thanking God for enabling us to reach this suspicious occasion, the Day of Atonement, and by reaching this special day, we're grateful that God gives us this opportunity year after year again. Of course, if you said the bracha earlier when you lit your candles, then you're not going to reset it again then. That's the point where the evening service begins, depending on your machser. The evening service is very similar to a regular Shabbos or Yom Tev evening, but the unique tune is for the high holidays. However, when we get to the Shema, which is the most fundamental Jewish prayer, the belief in one God, then we usually recite the next verse, Baruch Hashem Kvad Machusad Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever, in an undertone. However, on Yom Kippur, we are going to sing this out loud. So this is the second passage of the Shema. The ordinary practice is to chant this first, the, the Shema just itself out loud. But here, because Moshe Rabbeinu learned this prayer when he was at Mount Sinai, and he heard the angels pray God in this way, we'll talk soon about Yaakov Avinu also, because we know that his children, that Yaakov responded to his children when they said Shema to their father. He used this verse as well, but we'll talk about that just now. So, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he heard the angels saying this prayer, he said, ah, this is a prayer that we should say too. But because we're not pure like the angels, that's why we usually say it in an undertone, as if to acknowledge that this is not really a prayer for humans. On Yom Kippur, though, we're going to read this prayer out loud because we want to proclaim on this day that as our sins are forgiven, we are as pure as the angels. As you continue through the prayer service, of course, the tune is unique to the high holidays, but for the most part, or actually until the Amidah, there is nothing different. It's at the Amidah, which is the central prayer service of the evening, that we begin to embrace, to, to initiate the theme of Yom Kippur. So we visualize ourselves approaching God as He sits on His throne, and we're going to stand with our feet together in silent devotion as we recite the Amidah. Every Yom Kippur Amidah includes a confessional prayer called Al-Chait, which we're going to discuss more so a little bit later. And the Amidah is followed by various supplications, the, by liturgical poems. One of my favorites is Darkecha Elokeinu. If I had a voice, I would sing it to you. Darkecha Elokeinu. Okay, no voice. Got to save it for Yom Kippur. But what is Darkecha Elokeinu? It's your way. That God, that you're forbearing towards the wicked. That's your praise, Hashem. And what we're saying, why are we praising God for being forbearing? That God is delaying His wrath? Wouldn't it be more effective to ask God to forgive our sins, to completely cancel His wrath? And the answer takes us back to what we just said before about Teshuvah, that the very energy on this day of Yom Kippur atones for our sins, but only if we repent. So as night falls on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur starting, we're sensitive to our responsibility to do our part. We don't ask God to simply forgive us. We praise Hashem for having delayed His verdict until Yom Kippur. 
which gave us a chance to repent. Because we repented, we know we will be forgiven because the very day itself secures atonement. So the evening service should take about two hours or so, depending, of course, on your shul and the chazan or the rabbi's sermon. But as you go through the service, I encourage and I, 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 I beseech you not to worry about what page is on the scoreboard in the front of the shul, but rather to focus whatever page you're on, whatever prayers resonate with you, that's the correct page to be on and spend time there meditating, contemplating, focusing on those particular prayers. And most importantly, prayer is the service of the heart. So make sure that your heart and soul are invested and immersed in the prayers along with you. Make sure you get some rest that evening or as many other people have a custom to stay awake through the night, reciting words of Tehillim. In fact, beseeching Almighty to forgive us for the coming year and for the year that passed. In the morning, we always begin every morning with prayer. On most days, we pray for a little while and we move on with our day. There's lots to get done. But in Yom Kippur, we are going to pray most of the day. We take a few breaks as necessary, but our primary occupation is prayer. So we begin with the regular morning prayers, very similar to Rosh Hashanah morning service, which we talked about previously. And the unique prayers for Yom Kippur are really going to begin at the Amida. And as you reach the end of the Amida, you're going to notice there's the lengthy confessional prayer that we already said before. In fact, it's going to appear 10 times throughout the course of Yom Kippur. Once we started during Mincha and Erev Yom Kippur, once before Kol Nidre, it's customary to say al twice during each of the services. So you have it twice in Mairev, twice in Shachris, Musaf, and Mincha. And as we recite each line of the confession, what do we do? We take our hand and we strike the left side of our chest where the seat of our evil inclination resides within our heart. As if to say, why did I concede? Why did I capitulate? Why did I give in to the feelings of my heart, of my emotions, when I committed whatever transgressions I did? And our sages taught that teshuvah between us and God, without verbal confession, is incomplete. And even though it's praiseworthy to admit a wrong and and to seek forgiveness publicly for sins, that are ben Adam Lachavero, between man and a fellow human being, we should turn to our fellow human being and express remorse for what we did wrong to another person. But our sages said there's something about hearing ourselves articulate our sins that make them more real for us. It brings them into sharp relief. So every sin that we committed, we know a sin has both a body and a soul. The body is the action of the sin, and the soul is that desire in our heart. And so remorse atones for the soul of the sin. But we need an action to atone for the body of it. And so each time we articulate it and the movement of our lips and the striking of our chest, that is the action that we perform to express our remorse for the sins we committed. Now, usually, like I said, sometimes it's considered arrogant to confess our sins out loud. But since this is a generic way of of confession and we're doing it all together aloud and one wonders why confess for sins that we never even committed and the truth is that even though maybe you didn't steal anything 
you physically didn't take something from someone else. So why would you want to mention this in your list of confessions? And the answer is that there are subtle ways that we commit a sin. Right? We might not have stolen a physical item, but maybe we misuse someone's private information. Or maybe we might have misled someone about something and stolen their knowledge. Also, on this day of Yom Kippur, our souls overshadow our bodies. So though we each have a separate bodies, our souls are common sparks from the same God. And the sins that mar one Jew's soul, they affect all of our souls. We're all interconnected. When we confess as a single unit, we speak not only for our individual selves, but also for our collective selves. And that's why we say, we, we enumerate each of the sins for the sin that we committed before you under duress and willingly. Again, wonder how could a sin be committed both under duress and willingly? Sometimes we're compelled by others or by circumstances to commit a sin. But we acknowledge that had we truly wanted to avoid it, we could have found a way. We didn't exhaust every avenue before consenting to the sin. So our sin was both with and against our will. We were compelled, but had we wanted to, we could have prevented it. Think sometimes we're forced into committing a sin. But once we begin, do we come to enjoy it? Right? Are we ever in company with a group of people and all of a sudden somebody starts gossip-mongering? Now, we could object, but they ignore our objection. And then we hear the gossip, and maybe we even enjoy the juicy morsels of it. So we join the gossip against our will, but maybe we enjoyed it within our will. And so we are going to confess all of these sins, things beyond our wildest imagination, things that we never thought we would ever commit it. And maybe we, and of course, we personally, individually never did commit, but we bear responsibility for each other in some way or other. And so we're going to repeat this 10 times throughout Yom Kippur to emphasize our responsibility for each other. And so my friends, this, these are just some of the famous prayers that we're going to be saying and repeating throughout the Yom Kippur service. We'll be right back just now and explore the Torah reading, the Musaf Amida, Mimcha, as well as the closing Ela prayer of Yom Kippur. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Chai FM, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivan. And we're going through the Yom Kippur service and just talking about a few ideas before we talk about why we confess our sins aloud. Talking about maybe there's a subtle way that we may have committed some of these sins or the fact that they have very idea that we take responsibility for each other. There's so much to talk about. Let's just go through a few more ideas. The Torah reading for Yom Kippur describes the Yom Kippur service that took place in the temple in Jerusalem. And the highlight of the service was the Kohen Gadda, the high priest, entering the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh Kedashim. The holiest room in the world was accessed by the holiest person in the nation on the holiest day of the year. And so in Shul, we're going to read the Torah and we're going to describe exactly that service that took place in the temple back in days of yore. After the Torah reading, we recite Yisker. Yisker is the memorial prayer that we say for our beloved departed. And it's recited four times a year on Yom Kippur, on Shemini Atzeret, on the last day of Pesach, and on the second day of Shavuos in Diaspora. 
Now the word Yisker, of course, means to remember. In this prayer, we beseech God to remember favorably the souls of our departed beloved ones on this day, on our to, to, to any of our relatives, and we pledge to give tzedakah in their honor after Yom Kippur. So it's important if you're thinking about which part of the Yom Kippur service to be at, certainly to try to be in shul for, Yom, for Yisker. You know, Yom Kippur is a day of atonement, not only for the living, but it's also for those who have passed on. Ganeden, paradise, is comprised of many dimensions and levels to which the soul continually ascends. And the extent of its ascent in the coming year is actually determined on Yom Kippur. And this determination is mostly shaped by the actions that the deceased did in their lifetime in this world. But we, their survivors, can intervene and positively influence the deceased judgment on Yom Kippur by us doing good deeds on their behalf. And that's why it's so important that we go to shul on Yom Kippur, particularly for Yisker, because a soul cannot perform mitzvahs in the afterlife. It's only here in this world that we're able to actually do mitzvahs. So the only way the soul could receive the merit of a mitzvah is if we, their survivors, their children, their grandchildren, their relatives, perform a mitzvah on their behalf. And this merit is the most potent tool for a soul's atonement and elevation on Yom Kippur. You know, doing mitzvahs on behalf of the neshama is not only about helping it ascend, but it's also about helping it have a stake in the physical world even after it's passed on. The neshama, the soul knows that the most important contribution we can make is to make what's called a tira batachtonim, a dwelling place for God here on earth. And a soul's distress that it can't have that impact in the physical world on its own after it's passed on. But when we perform mitzvahs on its behalf, we're enabling the soul to take part in elevating this world, even though the soul's no longer here in this world. And this is especially true regarding mitzvahs that are done by the children on behalf of the departed parents. So when we recite Yisker and we pledge to give tzedakah in honor of our beloved departed loved ones, we are bringing merit to their souls and we're facilitating the elevation to higher and greater levels in the hereafter. So make sure on Yom Kippur that you are in shul for the Yisker service. And of course, after Yom Kippur, make sure to make good on your pledge. Following the Yisker service will be Musaf. Musaf, this is probably the longest Musaf of the year. And Chazan leads the congregation in very moving very, very moving um, service of the Musaf. What makes the Musaf so long on Yom Kippur is the Avoda. The Avoda is a fundamental section of the Yom Kippur Musaf service where it's true that before, during the Torah reading of the day, we, we describe the Yom Kippur service as it took place in the temple. But in the Avoda, we go through a step-by-step description of every aspect from the Keturahs, the incense, and the Karbanas, the offerings, and the prayers, and the ceremonies, and the rituals. And this is followed by a series of supplications, and we beg Hashem that the temple be rebuilt, and we conclude with the recitation of, of the Al-Chait, of the same confessional prayer that we described earlier. And we describe all the different aspects of how the temple service took place. You know, just imagine stepping into the Holy of Holies, God's own space. Right? Here there's only space for God. It's the temple. How, how, do you, how can you step in? And the answer is that in God's room, you don't take up space. You realize that but for God, 
There is nothing and we are part of that nothingness. This utter surrendering and complete merging with the infinite, that's what remained of the high priest as he stepped out. And by gazing upon his face, the people were uplifted as well. And from this standpoint of utter oneness, there's, there's no room for sin. Because sin is a separation between ourselves and God. When the people came to this realization, God responded and forgave the people for their sins. Now, of course, today, although we can't experience this in a very tangible level, we can recognize that we merge with God today on a spiritual level. And if we read about it during the Musaf Avodah service, we visualize these events, we can relive them. And that's the purpose of reading the Avodah during the Musaf service. So that's why the Musaf of Yom Kippur is so long. But after that, it's appropriate that we take a break, we take some time to rest up, if there is time, many shuls don't get that chance and we rest up between Mincha, between Musaf and Mincha and Yom Kippur. You could utilize that time to recite extra Tehillim, to do some extra reading about the significance of Yom Kippur. My shul, I usually give a share during this time so we could be a little bit more inspired. And then we go into Mincha. The Yom Kippur service and Yom, um, the Mincha Yom Kippur service is quite unique and usually done about an hour and a half or so before, before sunset. So at my show, we call it for 4.30. And we start with the Torah reading, and then it's followed by a very significant Haftarah, which we know tells the story of the prophet Yonah. Yonah was a prophet sent by God to tell the people of Ninveh, Ninveh somewhere located near modern-day Mosul, that God would destroy their city unless they repented. For various reasons, Yonah did not want to relay this prophecy. So... The story in short we know is that Yonah boarded a ship for a distant land, but a terrible storm struck and Yonah understood that he was at fault for the storm. And he urged the sailors, he said, throw me overboard. And they listened, they did that. The story goes, everyone loves the story of Yonah, how he was swallowed up by a fish. And three days later, he was spat out by the fish and deposited on the shores of Nineveh. And Yonah did what he was supposed to. He went to the people and he told them his prophecy and encouraged them to repent. And in fact, they did and they were saved. So this story that we've been on Yom Kippur reminds us of several things, in fact. Firstly, we know we can't flee from God. Wherever we may go, God's already there. Like in the story of Yonah. We can't ignore our sins. Like the people of Nineveh, we have to do teshuva, we have to repent. Otherwise, we know there are consequences. And thirdly, as we saw in the story of Nineveh, that the teshuva that they did, the repentance canceled the terrible decree. And if God could forgive the people of Nineveh, who were not known to be the most righteous people, in fact, ultimately they were the people who caused the destruction of the temple for such wicked people to be forgiven, then certainly God will forgive us, His dear children. So, remember, it's an important and beautiful haftarah and worthwhile to be present, to be there, and to be there for that moment where we ask God for forgiveness. And we ask Hashem to bring us back. And we say, Bring us back to you, God, and we will return to you. You know, think about this. There's, there's two conflicting ideas. One is this verse, which I actually say on Tishabab. God should bring us back and we'll return, which implies that God must make the first move to bring us back. And then what do we say? We recite the words of the prophet Malachi, return to me and I shall return to you, which implies that we have to make the first move. Our sages taught 
that first, you know, the, the, the verse, Hashiveinu Hashem Elecha, that God should return to us, that's our demand of Hashem. And then we read Hashem's demand of us. Hasidus explains this means that God wants us to be inspired to turn to Him. And when that happens, Hashem pledges to give us much more inspiration than we can generate on our own. On the other hand, we know how hard it is to reverse course on our own. So we beg Hashem to make that first move, to inspire us to return. And the truth is that both occur at the same time. For the moment we make a move towards Hashem, immediately Hashem showers us with abundance of inspiration to ascend higher than we could have ever imagined. So this is our opportunity, Yom Kippur, to do exactly that. And then on Yom Kippur, we add a fifth service, the final service of the day called Ne'ilah. Just, you know, like many distance runners get that second win towards the end of their run on Yom Kippur. I know certainly at the very end, as exhausted as it might be, as the Chazan, as the Rabbi, as the Bakara is doing everything, there's just the second win. We feel revitalized on Yom Kippur as the sun begins to slip past the horizon. And in the closing moments of Yom Kippur, we're going to pray Ne'ilah. And during this service, we seek to complete our Yom Kippur journey by expressing in prayer the deep oneness with God that is available to us at this very special time. So this prayer, Ne'ilah, the fifth service of Yom Kippur, according to Judaism, our divine soul, the highest level of our neshama, the Yechida, is in full in full blossom, so to say. There's five levels of the soul. Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Chai, Yechida. Nefesh symbolizes our actions. Ruch is our emotion. The Neshama is the intellect. The Chai is the will. The Yechida is the highest level of the soul, which we don't always, we're not always in, in tune with it. And this deepest level of our soul, which transcends our conscious psyche, and it's not regularly experienced on Yom Kippur, especially at this moment of Ne'ilah, we feel as a part of God. You know, during most of our lives, our conscious mind's experiences, you know, we, we have a degree of, of, of separation from God. On Yom Kippur, at this moment, during the final moments of the sacred day, there's this sh- fundamental shift that occurs. Our Yechida, this highest level of our soul, the oneness with God, shines through. And we can become conscious of our inherent unity with God. And so we pray the fifth service of the day, which corresponds to the Yechida at this very conclusion, at the very end of Yom Kippur. And notice that in this prayer, we no longer ask God to inscribe us for a good year, but rather we say the chasmenu, that God should seal us for a good year. And that indicates that these are the final moments of the Day of Judgment. And so at this time of the Elah, we, we, we have a special prayer. We have various specific um, aspects of the Ne'ilah service, just to point out a few as we have to conclude, the climactic finale of Ne'ilah is when we declare three potent statements. Number one, we say, Shema. We say that one time, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echot. Hear Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. This verse, which is probably the, the most fundamental prayer of a, in, in Judaism, so many Jews, regardless of their involvement with Judaism, recognize these words. Children are taught it from the time that they could speak. And it's traditionally the last words that a person says before they pass away. 
And so at this moment of Ni'ilah, when we could sense the deep oneness with Hashem, the fact that so many of our ancestors sacrificed so much for God, it really finds a particular resonance at this particular moment. And when the Shema's recited, we should concentrate on our readiness to give up our soul for Hashem. And God will consider it as if we actually did give up our soul for Hashem. So then we say three times the verse, Baruch Shem Kvod Malchus Blessed be the name of Hashem's glorious kingdom forever and ever, which we discussed that on this day, we are like angels with a completely clean slate. So we recite this verse aloud, although the rest of the year we say it in an undertone. And the Talmud teaches that when Yaakov Avinu's 12 sons, that the, the progenitors of the tribes of Israel, when they declared their faith in God by reciting the Shema, Yaakov expressed his happiness by reciting this very verse of the angels. So this verse as well, we, we say it three times out loud. And we repeat this phrase to offer thanks that we continue living by this Jewish tradition, that we will pass this along to our children, to the very next generation. And then we say the word, Hashem, who I like him, God, Hashem is our God, seven times. And this verse was rooted in the event that occurred in the times of Eliyahu and Navi. At that time, many of the Jews sadly practiced a mix of, of Judaism and polytheism, and they, they adopted various idolatrous practices from the surrounding nations. And one day, Eliyahu and Navi arranged this major showdown with the leaders of the Baal, those who worshipped the Baal, and he demonstrated that Hashem is a true God. And he said to them, don't, you know, why are you vacillating on two sides? So we make this proclamation each year at the closing of Yom Kippur to underscore that we too will endeavor to keep our Judaism pure. And so the Chabad custom, we know, is to conclude with a beautiful tune, Napoleon's March, expressing our confidence that our Teshuva has been accepted and that we will be inscribed, please God, for a good year in both a physical and a spiritual sense. And so we conclude Yom Kippur with blasting the shofar with one great, one giant tekiah gedola. And this notifies, of course, telling people that, you know, it's nightfall and that the fast is over now. But it also has that symbolism that a sound of triumph, like armies who return from a victory by sounding trumpets and horns. And we proclaim that this evening is a holiday and that we will celebrate it with a lavish meal and a happy heart. And we say the words, Lashana Habaa Birushalayim next year in Jerusalem. After you conclude the Ne'ilah service, we dive make Havdala, and then we get straight to work because we want to build the sukkah. We want to go straight into a straight into the next mitzvah, into the next festival. So we get straight to work and moving from one mitzvah to the next. Please God indeed, we will all be signed and sealed for a good sweet year. Wishing you all well over the fast, a meaningful, purposeful, and splendid Yom Kippur. See you, please God, next week, same time. All the best.